The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nicholas Gregoratis Show. I am your host, Nicholas Gregoratis, and I'm speaking to you from a sweltering Los Angeles, California. This is a very special milestone in the history of my podcast. It is the first time I have a female guest on the show. Now, just one caveat. It's not just one female guest. She is appearing with her husband. Baby steps. <laughs> Eventually, I will have a, uh, a single female guest on the show. In fact, I've already recorded the episode with uh, another woman that will come out in a few weeks. But this is the first one that a, a female has been a, uh, a guest in any way. And it actually, I believe, turned out really well. So I'm excited to share that with you guys. I want to remind you that you can get a free copy of my book, Aligned, if you head on over to coachnickg.com and click on the link that says book. You can download a free copy of my book. Remember that the Coach Nick G is spelled without a K, so it's just coachnick.com. And uh, I wanted to let you guys know that the Heroic Entrepreneur Group that I started about a month ago is still open. We've got over 330 members in there. It's grown uh, far quicker than my expectations. There's a lot of good stuff in there. If you're the kind of guy who is at the point where you know that you can't stay in the rat race anymore and you have to do something for yourself, you have to find some kind of freedom and self-actualization outside of the working environment, then this is definitely for you. It's also for you if you've got a fledgling business that is not yet making uh, seven figures and you're wanting to grow it, but you don't know how to do that without compromising yourself or being burned out, then this is the perfect group for you. As I said, there's no obligation. Just come join, see what it's all about, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of value out of that. The way to find that is just head on over to facebook.com forward slash heroic entrepreneur, or you can just search the heroic entrepreneur in Facebook and you'll find it. Okay, guys, let's dive into the episode with Benjamin and Azria Becker. Enjoy. Hey, guys, please welcome to the show, Mr. Benjamin Becker, and also the very first female I have ever had on my podcast, Miss Azria Becker. I'm so happy to have you guys both on. Thanks for yeah, having I'm us. Excited. Yeah, it's a As pleasure to be here, brother. Before we start recording, you guys are my kind of people. And you've co-authored a book called Becoming, and that's spelled with a Q, Becoming Everything You Didn't Know You Wanted, which, um, damn, it's so pertinent to, to my life at the moment for several reasons. Um, and I just, I'd love to know a little bit more, and I'm sure the audience would love to know a little bit more about how you guys came to create this very unusual and seemingly awesome book as i said i haven't read it yet but i will soon um yeah it's my understanding benjamin you're a, a businessman and and um Ezra, you're an artist and the two of you bought these completely different um personality types and life experiences to create this very unusual dynamic that's the starting point if i'm not mistaken 
Yeah, it's a good starting point for sure. Uh, we come from wildly different backgrounds. Uh, Benjamin has been a pretty successful serial entrepreneur, business owner, um, had a big exit and really has just been in, in the world of climbing what we call the sugar mountain, the, the first the first mountain of traditional success that, that many of us climb when we're looking for, you know, to, to prove ourselves in the world, to make something of ourselves in the world. And there's a lot of beauty and a lot of value and a lot of lessons learned on that in, in that stage of the, of the journey. Um, but as is often the case, Benjamin also hit kind of a rock bottom with his pursuit of material success and material um, or external validation, I guess you could say. And uh, started pivoting. And that's when I came into his life and I had been more on the artist side. I was an actress for many years and then started getting into the healing arts and into the shamanic plant medicine world and really dove deep into that terrain. And we met kind of at this perfect moment in our journey where we both needed the, the opposite and complementary energy that we each bring in order to fulfill our purpose in life. And so we had this very sort of synchronistic and magical meeting where in a very short period of time, within a couple of weeks, we saw the possibility of our union and pretty much just went all in more or less. <laughs> that wasn't quite that swift and easy, but uh, it was very accelerated and have since then been on a path of merging our lives and really bringing all, all of our gifts and skills together to weave uh, what is now becoming which is not just a book. The book is really the tip of the spear, but Becoming is a movement. It's an organization. It's a, a whole ecosystem of transformation. Oh, I love it. I, I'm, I find that so inspiring. Uh, you, you speak about one of the side effects of, of your work being uh, you become radically unfuckwithable, which uh, I, I thought was great because uh, one of the things I got from plant medicine was this concept which a hugely intelligent author Gordon White speaks of, which is he calls it becoming invincible, which is once you go across to the other side through something like ayahuasca or a near-death experience, or you have some sort of connection to something beyond this uh, ordinary world of the five senses, it gives you this, this feeling of invincibility because you know like there's more to me than just this meat suit I'm wearing. And I'd love to know, like, is, is that kind of the same thing as when you speak about becoming radically unfuckwithable? Is that the same thing you're referring to? Uh, it's a little different, uh, although we resonate with what you just said. Um, become, becoming unfuckwithable is um, really at its core, this concept. It, it's actually a little different than you might uh, organically think what it means but it means being able to receive anything that comes at you without resistance and full acceptance and, and feeling those feelings fully. And so uh, it's not that, Hey, somebody said something to me and I just brushed it off and I acted like I didn't care. It's actually if, when things come up for you, feeling them fully and then transmuting those feelings. Um, and so it, it's the ability to, uh, to have open-hearted acceptance for what is no matter the circumstances. Uh, at its core. And it, it's the practice and it's not something that, you know, anybody's really perfect at, but as you, the more you practice it, just like anything else, the better you get at it. And, you know, I think a lot of, um, you know, conventional wisdom teaches us to 
um, not, not be affected by external things. But the truth is, is, is it's the real powers and being the opposite is allowing those things to affect you, feel them fully and actually let them go. So you can move on without carrying them on because, you know, as you know, what we resist persists. Uh, and so that's the, that's the concept. Yeah. I, I love it. I'm reminded of uh, a book that I must've mentioned on the show. I'm sure the audience is tired of me talking about it, but, um, it is probably in my top three, definitely in my top three favorite books of all time, which is letting go the pathway of surrender by David yeah. R. Hawkins. And, uh, you know, he, he was really one of the, the most gifted men of the 20, 20th century, in my opinion. And the foundation of all his work was at its core. It was about this idea that, you know, the feet, the, the biggest cause of ills in society and with the individual is this inability to feel things properly and to suppress and repress and turn away from what needs to be felt. So I'm totally on board with you guys with that. Can you give me an example, maybe from each of your lives, your, your very different life journeys where you uh, either use this effectively, this feeling things intensely, or maybe didn't use it effectively and the consequences of that? Well, before, before we answer that question, when I met Benjamin, he had that book letting go on his bookshelf like seven times. <laughs> I was like, why do you have this book seven times on your bookshelf? He's like, oh, when I really love a book, I buy extra copies and then I gift them to people who I think are supposed to read the book. So uh, I'd never seen anyone do that before, but he had maybe like three to five books out of many, many books that were duplicated many times over. And <laughs> the other one was The Untethered Soul, which is one of my favorites as well and mm -hmm. just a, an amazing read so it's so interesting um, you say that um because that is the book i've given away more than any other uh, like i've yeah i've given it to so many people so that's so cool to to hear that that um yeah. we've both experienced that sorry to have interrupted you azria please continue no it's okay i and i think going to answering your question i think i spent most of my life um uh, I guess being fuckwithable, allowing external circumstances to really throw me for a loop. And what that looks like uh, for the most part is, is something triggers you, something upsets you and you get, you, 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 you feelings come to the surface and then you, you start looping in, in, in a circle of like dwelling on this thing that's going on. And I think the real powerful work is when you can actually kind of pause, take a deep breath and, and have the awareness, like, out, you know, step outside of your situation and say, okay, I'm really triggered right now. Uh, I'm going to allow these feelings to come up and through, but actually do them in a way that allows you to move through them. Um, and so I've spent most of my life, I think, letting external circumstances really drive. And, and, I, and I'll say that I'm not perfect. I, this, this last couple of weeks has been really intense and some stuff's come up and you have to remind yourself over and over um, to kind of be in the practice of, of letting things move through you. And, and I think people have different practices. Azria certainly has some really good practices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, I think there's a, there's a, a beautiful distinction between a reaction and a response. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the difference between those two things is like the difference between a fulfilled life, a happy life and a, and a really challenging life. And so what I've observed speaking into what Benjamin shared, because he's been working through this, he's a, even though he's a big burly alpha male, he's actually very sensitive uh, and feels things very deeply. And what I observed was that if something, if there was a trigger or so, something, right, or source of stress or conflict, it's that there would be a strong reaction to it 
but then there weren't, weren't yet tools, at least in the beginning when we met, there weren't yet tools to emotionally process that information, that, that energetic information that got released in his system. And so because there was nothing to, there was no tools to process it with really, it would kind of just sit there or it would get stuck. And then he would kind of just be in this, like he said, like a loop where it was just the stagnant energy and it wasn't transforming into something new. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of observing that and, you know, being allowed as his partner to be deeply intimately involved in his personal process, which has been such a gift has really informed how we teach our methodology and how we help people specifically powerful men in leadership positions to start to create a relationship with their emotions in a different way. Cause that's the, 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 the path to being unfuckable is emotional intelligence. And it's mm. the, it's the one thing we never learned in school. And so for me, one of the many, think, one of the many things we never learned in school. Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> it's maybe one of the major things that we should have learned in school. Um, but yeah, so for me, what it looks like is I think because I was an actress for so long, I had to develop a lot of emotional intelligence through my craft, mm. which I didn't realize, of course, at the time that that's what I was doing, but I was, you know, what is an actor? They're paid to feel things, right? Sure. Uh, and so that that's really what I did for many, many, many years standing on stages. And even before I moved to LA to pursue it professionally, I was acting all through high school. And so I had this ability to process emotion and understand emotion in a way that I think most people don't. Mm. And, um, and as I started to do the inner work and working with the plant medicines and really stepping on my path of transformation, I started to realize that I developed a little bit of a superpower, if you will, of just being willing to feel things that a lot of other people weren't. Mm. And so when there's something that arises, like yesterday, I'll give you a very tangible example because the, the perfect place to become unfuckwithable or practice becoming unfuckwithable is in the dojo of your intimate partnership with your romantic partner. Um, mm. But for me yesterday, for example, like we we had a, a disagreement, I guess, or a, a different perspective on something. And I felt really, I felt triggered and emotional about it. Um, Cause I thought we were on the same page and it turned out we weren't. And I felt a wave of energy come up that felt like resistance and, and resentment. And I m- removed myself from the situation to go feel what I needed to feel. And I breathed into it and I just allowed it to flow through me. And I, I cried it out. And within, you know, 45 minutes, I saw that the situation had been co-created. I had had not been clear in communicating to him what my expectation was. And so it was not his fault that he was on a different page than me. And, you know, and within within the hour, we were we were all good. And so mm-hmm. now a, a previous version of me would have taken that and turned it into a story and said, mm-hmm. OK, here's proof that he doesn't care or that he's not listening or that. He's, you know, not participating in the way that I want to show up in the world or whatever the story could have been. And that could have created a deep layer of resentment stuck inside my system that even though I may have pretended it wasn't there, it could have infiltrated our relationship and been there subconsciously, you know, for years to come. And that's what a lot of times. And just, yeah, like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. That's why so many relationships are so challenging for people who've been together for a long time. It's because these things haven't ever been fully allowed to have their moment to just live through you, express themselves and then complete themselves as well. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a great observation. I'm reminded of uh, something my, my mentor taught me, which really stuck with me. He said that def- one of the defining uh, characteristics that differentiates an adult from a child 
and keeping in mind that a lot of people who are chronological adults um, are still <laughs> children uh, is the ability to sit with discomfort. Literally, that, that the ability to sit with discomfort is a hallmark of an adult. And a lot of fully grown people. That's really good. Yeah, it's Is really good. They, say, say that again. I'm sorry, I, I missed your last Who question. Who said that? Uh, my, my mentor, Rocco Jarman, um, that was, it's one of his insights. I've just realized that that's, if you look at a lot of people's addictions, that is a direct consequence of that inability to sit with discomfort, right? They, they don't enjoy, they don't want to experience this uncomfortable feeling that's coursing through the system. So they turn towards a distraction or a chemical or sex or whatever it might be to repress that or suppress that. And when I, when I came to that understanding, it, it really helped me or it's helping me become a better human because truth be told, I still struggle with certain things. They're still very uncomfortable for me, but I am learning to sit with them. Yeah. yeah. We have a question that we loved uh, to work with and it's from Jim Dethmer and it's, what are you willing to risk for full aliveness? Hmm. And when you really dissect that question, what you're, what you need to, what you're invited to be willing to risk is that feeling of discomfort mm -hmm. to feel fully alive you have to be willing to feel very uncomfortable. Um, and it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but really powerful. Mm, I love that. What came to my mind when you, when you said that, um, Benjamin, what are you willing to risk for full aliveness? I, I've had this, it's an insight or it's something I've been pondering for several weeks now, which is my higher self or, the little voice or whatever you want to call it just keeps telling me that I cannot go where I need to go while I'm still holding on to these small ideas of who I am. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that I have to get to the point where I'm willing to, ri to risk letting go of, as you said, the story of who I'm telling myself that I'm supposed to be. Yeah. That's the, that's the, the crux of the work. Right. And then yeah, all the programming, uh, letting it all die. Um, so that you can discover who you were designed to be. Mm. It's definitely not easy, but no. ultimately rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'd love to ask you the, the subtitle of your book is everything you didn't know you wanted. What is it that we don't know we want? <laughs> <laughs> That's the magical question. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, um, first of all, there's no one answer for that question. Um, the, the important part is I think to be, um, Right. I like to say the opposite of learning and knowing is the opposite of learning is knowing. And so when you're in this place of knowing, you, 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 you think you know um, who you were meant to be or who you are or, or what you want. Um, it doesn't allow necessarily for opportunity to be curious about um, the things we don't know. And there's this veil that we live um, behind most of us in that is based on the way we were raised, our programming from family, from society, from culture, from friends, uh, where we start to create this idea of what we think we want, right? Like I spent a lot of my life thinking I wanted, you know, a, you know, multiple houses and jets and all the things, right? And, and so everything I thought I wanted, I spent most of my life building an empire really, um, was distorted. And so, uh, the work that we like to do is to help people see beyond the veil of who they thought they knew 
they were supposed to be or who they think they are and and open it up with curiosity to this this place of discovering everything they didn't know they wanted and um we have a six-month process we take people through um on a on a journey where we incorporate plant-based medicines um to kind of help with that but we take people on a journey of really excavating who they think they are understanding themselves at a deeper level and then opening up um the door to discover who they were designed to be and everything they didn't know they wanted but for everyone that answer is very different yeah i guess i would say uh one more kind of big picture in personal development work, even the word development, it's a very linear word, right? It's very much about moving from point A to point B, B to point C and so on. And, and so a lot of traditional personal development work has us look at life through this kind of more left brain, you know, perspective. Um, and so when we set our goals for the year, or we set um, New Year's resolutions or whatever, right? We, we, we have our manifestation board, we're choosing things that we think we want based on who we think we are. We're operating within the world of what we know. And there's a lot of importance and beauty in that, by the way. And I, I don't think that those are <laughs> not good things to do. I think that we need to incorporate both sides of our brains and, and we need to work with what we know and what we also leave a lot of space for what we don't yet know. Uh, and so the reason why we are so passionate about the, the conversation of psychedelics and plant medicine is because what they allow us to do is temporarily collapse this veil that Benjamin was talking about that separates us from what we think we know and everything we didn't know we wanted. And sometimes the things that we didn't know we wanted aren't pleasant. So for example, you might go into an ayahuasca ceremony and say, I want to feel, you know, divine bliss. I want to come out feeling clarity and purpose and remembering who I, who I am. Right. Mm. In order to get there, a lot of times we have to cross this threshold. And that threshold is a lot of times guarded by the shadow, right. By our mm. fear, by our trauma, by the things that are keeping us in these holding patterns and trying to keep us the same. And it's through that threshold, through the willingness to face these things, feel these things, integrate these things and, and reap the harvest, the, the gift that's contained within these things that we can start to crack open and into everything we didn't know we wanted. So on the other side of that experience, we might say, well, I didn't know I wanted to go feel my childhood trauma. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it wasn't yeah. on my manifestation list to feel that, <laughs> but like, holy shit, that's exactly what I wanted because I needed to feel that in order to liberate myself from this belief system or this story or this limiting pattern that's been there my whole life. And that's really what we're interested in is that edge between the conscious and the subconscious essentially. Again, it's so interesting that how much overlap there is between your message and recent experiences in my life. I, mm. I took a couple of um, uh, THC or weed gummies, and I don't really do weed very often. It's not really my thing. I find it um, invariably makes me paranoid, mm -hmm. but I was assured that these were very mild and that if I only took two, it would be fine and it would just relax me a little bit. And so I gave it a go and wouldn't you know it uh, started to get very paranoid and a very particular uh, terror started to come to the forefront, you know, and, and I wasn't freaking out, but I could really feel this undercurrent of this, this deep fear regarding something in my life. And I remember speaking with um, that same gentleman who spoke, uh, who 
gave me the insight about um, discomfort. And he said to me, that was your test is your test is when those things come up, it's to not look away. Mm-hmm. That's where the growth lies is to turn towards it and go into it mm-hmm. as opposed to just trying to shove it away. And uh, I mean, I know he's right. It really got me thinking and it, it's true. Sometimes what we want is on the other side of a difficult experience or um, something that's difficult to, to find out about ourselves. And yeah. We like to say uh, to die into it because it's, it's mm-hmm. really to lean into it is to allow for a death to happen so that you can emerge uh, on the other side of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, every initiation is preceded by a death. And so these initiations we go on in life uh, require us to, to let some part of us die. And I mm-hmm. think that part of the work that we do is getting really comfortable with that death process. Well, yeah, respect. Uh, so now time for some harder questions because you guys have clearly demonstrated that you can handle it. Um, <laughs> so my first one is, uh, I mean, you guys are romantically involved. It's my understanding that you're a couple. You're not, you're not married, but well, are you married? Yeah. You are married. Sorry, you are married. My apologies. Um, you're married and you work together and you're on this, this path of growth together. Uh, does it ever become suffocating or, or difficult to be so entwined and enmeshed with someone right, well it's good we don't have video on right now <laughs> you should see benjamin's face <laughs> um no never it's all easy and breezy and beautiful <laughs> we just hold hands and skip through the meadow all day <laughs> i'll tell you that that you know the answer is is you know um we don't get sick of each other and we spend literally 99.9% of our time together. We do everything together, which is very uh, unique and an anomaly. And it's not to say we don't have our challenging moments. Um, but I think that you alluded to it. And I really love the way you said it earlier is we have a very one, we have a tremendous amount of respect for each other, but there's two things I think that really allow us to move through life so easily. Um, and when I see easefully, it doesn't mean that there's not effort and there's not challenge, but it, it is generally an easeful yeah. way the we move through is yeah. yeah, is, is, is two things is I think number one, um, we, with that question I asked before, what are you willing to risk for full aliveness? Our answer to that question is everything. And we understand that, you know, it, that's not the case for most people, but what, what you're saying when you say everything is, is that you're willing to sit in the discomfort, that ability to sit in the discomfort that you referenced earlier is something we are very, very comfortable doing. Not, and I won't even say comfortable. It's, it's like willing, willing and, and beyond willing. Like it, it doesn't even feel like there's a choice. It just is. And so that in combination with our uh, transparency and authenticity is, is if there's anything bothering us, if there's anything coming up, we talk about it and we don't, we've never been in a fight in three years. And the reason we don't get in fights, despite that we've had very, very difficult conversations is, is that um, there's not a defensiveness. There's a, okay, this is coming up. I'm feeling this. Um, this is uncomfortable. And we have those difficult conversations, but we, because of the respect, because of the transparency and vulnerability and the ability to the willingness to sit in the discomfort together, 
um, it allows us to move through. So if something comes up, we can actually move through it and, and move on with our life and not carry resentment forward because we actually process and allow it to come through that becoming unfuckwithable is at its core, a willingness to sit in discomfort, um, all the time relentlessly, right? It's, mm. it's one thing to sit in discomfort once in a while. It's another to live a life of relentlessly sitting in any discomfort that comes up mm. because it, what it does is allow you to move through it so you can move forward. And when you're not carrying resentment and it doesn't build up over time, uh, then you're just, then little things that come up, you just move through them and keep going very easily. Mm. Um, and so that's how, that's how we do it. I think. That's cool. There's a, there's a specific word that I've, come to understand encapsulates what you're describing, which is the word stance. It's the stance you take towards life, mm. right? And, and stance determines everything. You guys have chosen the stance mm. of courage and facing the discomfort and not everyone does that. And I really respect you guys for that. Um, yeah. You, you, that's a very beautiful word. Uh, we like to say we sit in the shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think what you're describing with stances, it's, it's really like, it is a it's a shared shared worldview. It's a shared way of looking at the world, and it's a choice to look at the world a certain way. And when when you have two people who ch choose to believe and embody that no matter what is coming up, it's always serving a greater purpose, even if it's deeply painful and uncomfortable, then that's kind of the the recipe for you know for a really healthy bl blossoming relationship over a long period of time. Because no matter what shows up you have to accept the gift in it somewhere, somehow. You might not see it right away. It might take time, but we always come full circle and see the gift. And I think that's one of the, the core, you know, I guess descriptive ways of looking at the stance is like, we're rooted in that. We're mm. not budging from that. And, um, and it, it's, this, it's this incredible trust that gets created when you see your partner over and over and over again sit in the discomfort, move through the shit, and then ultimately see the gift. And you can, that becomes very trustable. Uh, yeah. And that foundation of trust, I think is, is worth more than, than anything in the world. Well, yeah, that's, that's power. Uh, yeah. Okay. So look, you guys have clearly switched on There's There's no doubt about that. And uh, from the sounds of it, you have an amazing life uh, skipping through the, through the meadow together and, occasionally sitting in the shit um yes. just to to maybe humanize you guys a little bit for the audience i want to ask you um to to hopefully answer each individually what is the hardest loss you've ever had to take in your life it's a beautiful question hmm I guess I would say, um, I, I would say that, I would say that it's kind of, it's weird because it's a paradox a bit is that the loss of my father was the biggest loss that I've had in my life. Uh, he was my best friend. We built our first business together. Um, and, and, and simultaneously I was able to, um, you know, he got diagnosed with cancer and I moved in with him the day he was diagnosed and lived with him for 10 months. And 
I, I was able to really transmute that grief into gratitude. And so in some ways it was my biggest loss. And in other ways, I don't even feel like I lost him um, because there's so much gratitude there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a weird paradox in that, um, in that sense um, that it was, yeah. it was my biggest loss and I don't relate to it as a loss, which is kind of weird. Um, no, like, I get it. I, I it makes, it makes total sense, Benjamin. I really do understand that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 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 I wonder how to answer that question for me. I don't feel like I've had loss in that way, in, in the way that I see other people go through loss. I, I would say maybe for me, it was the, the loss of my identity as an actress was a, was a, a real process for me. It took me years to unravel that mm -hmm. because there was such an attachment to that being who I am and there was so much invested into it and when when it began to unravel I remember the feeling of like there's no way this this can go away you know like there's no way I, I'm gonna ever turn my back on this and so when it started to first unravel it was really terrifying and I told myself for a long time that I, it was always going to be a part of who I am and that I was never going to fully let go of it but it really did have to go through a complete death. And there, while there's still openness that it could come full circle and one day I could, you know, be offered a beautiful role in a project that feels really aligned and I'd be super happy to, to say yes or even make my own film, the attachment isn't there anymore. So I, I, I had to grieve a lot of attachment to what I thought my life was supposed to look like. Yeah. I'm interested to know a little bit more about, you, you spoke about the process of that unraveling. Was it just your career just started to decline or was it a specific incident that just made you lose interest in acting or do you mind telling me a bit more about that Azra? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was gradual. I would say uh, my career never really took off. I mean, I, I was, I was working kind of on and off as an actress, but I never had like the, my big breakthrough moment. Hmm. And what I was observing over time was that, I, I always had this milestone, right? I was like, okay, when I get the agent, when I get the manager, when I get the, uh, the, this audition, when I book this job, when I'm on this stage, when I'm, you know, on the stage of CBS at, at for parks and recreation, which was a show I loved, mm. then I'll feel this feeling of fulfillment and wholeness. And then I would get there and literally I was on parks and recreation. I it would get there and I would be like, okay, this was a cool experience, but it didn't fundamentally change how I feel about myself or it didn't fill this void that I feel in my soul. And I didn't understand why, because I was checking these boxes in a way. Mm. And so I, I, I guess I was aware enough to see that that was a pattern that could continue for the rest of my life. Like I could get the biggest, I could win an Oscar and likely I would still have that feeling. So when I kind of extrapolated that over time, I was like, wow, there seems, I feel like I'm in a way like moving in a bit of a dead end. And so one, one step towards my awakening was me choosing to write roles for myself and writing my own screenplay. So that was kind of like a middle step. But then the real shift came when I first sat with plant medicine. Uh, and it wasn't my first psychedelic experience, but I would say like the formative experience, the, the game changer experience was when I sat with ayahuasca, which was in 2015 for the first time. And I think I had had whispers of it and inklings of it. It was coming from, you know, the, 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 the writing was on the wall in a way, but there was still mm. like so much disbelief. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not going to change what I'm doing. 
And then in that ceremony, it was like all of all of the resistance, all of the hesitation, all of the questioning was just literally ripped from my from my hands. And I was shown a completely different timeline for my life, which was both very exciting and inspiring, but also very, of course, confronting because it was like quite opposite in some ways from what the the path that I was on. So that was really the turning point. And then it took years after that for me to really shed the identity of the actress. Cause I came out of that saying, okay, I'm going to choose a new path. I'm going to start really going deep into transformation. I'm going to start coaching. I'm going to start sharing what's coming through me, but I was still an actress, you know, that was still part of me. And then over the years, I just kept feeling like it was getting emptier and emptier and emptier. And my new life was getting fuller and fuller and fuller and more and more rich and exciting and miraculous and eventually it just didn't make sense to continue putting life force energy into this acting career it was like it was dead in the water you know yeah respectful having the courage to to let go of something like that i know that's that's never easy guys i'm i'm blown away that was one of the the best podcasts i've done in a while probably gonna have to start having more women on the show (laughs) Um, i I really do appreciate you guys and i've i sense that our paths will cross again i I would definitely like to have you on the show again in the future preferably after i've read your book um it's it's going right onto my list of of books to read if everyone listening wants to find out more about you guys and the becoming movement where's the best place for them to go i think our website's the best place it's uh, becoming with a q uh, dot me and, um, you know, we're on all the social platforms under the same kind of handle becoming with a Q. And we have a six month coaching process that's designed for two different archetypes. One is, is for super successful people, basically where I was five or 10 years ago, uh, that are feeling like there's a lacking, they want to find more purpose in their life, uh, figure out who they were designed to be. Um, um, so we call that becoming stewards. And then we have another program called Becoming Allies, which is really designed around who Asri was five or 10 years ago, somebody who's already heart-centered, already on the path of personal development and or personal transformation, and then, um, but really hasn't grounded that in a, in a significant way. And so they need to, uh, they need support in, in kind of taking what's in their heart and manifesting it into reality. And so one, one is moving from head to heart and the other one is moving from heart to head. Uh, and so we have these two programs that we we have um, called the Becoming Process. Yeah, and wow. then there's also uh, if for anyone who wants to receive the three stages of becoming, you can just uh, opt in at our website for free, and we'll send you some content, and uh, you'll be part of our mailing list at that point, and can just stay up to date. We're we're always up to cool things. We're doing events and experiences, and really just kind of getting started with launching a lot of magic into the world. Yeah. And the books on our website, there's a hardcover that's a special print version. And then uh, there's a paperback on Amazon and it's on Audible. The cool thing about Audible as well is is that we read the book ourselves. uh, And then we have bonus interviews with some of the people that were in the book, uh, my mom, my ex-wife, my daughter, who were, you know, part of the stories. And then um, Asri and I had a girlfriend, Mars, for uh, about a year and we interview her. And there was a lot of you know, interesting conversations that happen around that as well. So those, those are bonuses at the end of the audiobook. Sounds incredible. I'm very much looking forward to, to reading the book and uh, yeah, guys, thank you so much for your time. Bless you both.
Thank you. Thank you. My brother. Thank you. Much love. One of the things I love about living in California is the types of people I get to meet. You know, there's, there's a stereotype about California that I was led to believe before I moved here. And it's one of the reasons I didn't move here sooner is everyone says, oh, people in California are so uh, stuck up or they're arrogant or they're materialistic or superficial. And everyone just wants to be an actor or everyone's just trying to become famous. And there is some truth to that. There are those people. You can definitely find them. I have met some of them. But I've also met some of the most generous, self-actualized, intelligent, cool, awesome human beings in my brief time living here. I've only lived here for a couple years and it just blows my mind the amount of just cool people you find here. You find, uh, it, it seems to attract people who take risks and people who know they, something, they have something to share with the world. There's, there's something in the air here. I've never really been able to, to label or de label it or describe it with language, but I get it now, now that I've, I've lived here. There's a reason I think one in six people in Los Angeles is in the entertainment industry, right? And <laughs> there's, there's a reason it all started here, Hollywood. And uh, it's the heart of entertainment. You know, it's, and it's fascinating to me. And it's so cool to be surrounded by these people. You know, I went to a party at the end of last year it was a friend's birthday party at his at his house and it was uh, quite a big event and there was there were all these entertainers there as well just just friends of his that were like singing and dancing and doing like uh, karaoke and like doing magic tricks and it was just incredible to be around this caliber of person you know and that's uh, when I when I speak to people like Benjamin and Azria who also live in this part of the world it just confirms to me that I made the right decision coming out here. Uh, if you haven't been to Los Angeles, I highly recommend you check it out. If you're a jiu-jitsu person listening, come just for the jiu-jitsu. Come and train with me at Subconscious Hangout. And uh, it'll be great to have you. And I'm sure you'll, you'll, when you leave, you'll be injected with a newfound energy. This place has an energy unlike any other. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of the show. I will be back in a week. Remember, until then, we're all alone in this together. <laughs>